Well, good morning. Uh, for our, our message this morning, um, we're in the middle of a series and it's called You Asked For It. And what we've done is over the last, I don't know, month or two, uh, we've asked you guys, what do you want to hear? What, what's, um, what's a message that, that you are really looking for? That what's, what's a question you have? And, uh, and we had um, a response saying, can you help us to understand the expectation that Jesus is coming again? And, um, and I, I thought to myself, gee, we, um, for probably a whole bunch of reasons, churches that I've, in, especially in my experience, probably haven't been preaching on Jesus coming again a lot. And so um, today that's what we're doing. We're talking about uh, Jesus coming again. And so my aim this morning is to help you all um, not only get a better understanding, but actually to get excited about the coming of Christ. Um, my hope is that, um, that this, this message will inspire a deep and lasting hope that can actually strengthen and guide you in the here and now. I think we all recognise that what we hope for really matters because um, what we hope for is, in the end, is what we live for. Uh, those of us uh, that have experienced a sense of hopelessness in our lives will have a special sense of how important it is to cling to hope because hopes direct us and they springboard us into the future. There's, there's something really life-giving. Uh, there's like a surge of energy and life that you can almost feel in your body when you have hope. For example, um, a young person may be inspired by hope for a better society and they might um, you know, go into to lines of areas of work that are quite challenging that they wouldn't otherwise be bothered with except that they have this hope for a better society, for a better world. Hope in a better life for our children is what has motivated many refugees to travel from um, war-ravaged countries halfway across the world, and many of them are, are our neighbours now. And also uh, another example is someone struggling, say, with an addiction. They may start to, to seek help and to learn to make different choices because perhaps a hope in, in their family's love, that, that's what, that, what they need to springboard themselves out of that challenge. So Jesus coming again is the very core of our Christian hope. Um, and it's a vital part of the biblical story. Without it, our faith is kind of rudderless. So this is our hope, and it orients us towards God's future. And if we, um, if we understand um, and desire and take up its promises, it will bring hope to our world and to our own lives. Any expectation that Jesus is coming again may seem a little strange to, to some of you, especially those of you who maybe don't have a very good understanding of Christian faith, perhaps haven't read the Bible much in your life, you might think, what a weird thing to hope for. And uh, the secular world around us will, will probably want us to feel a bit embarrassed um, about, about this hope. And some of us may have checked it out a little bit and thought, hey, what's this stuff about Jesus coming again? And found it confusing to say the least, and maybe a little bit scary even, and have thought, I've had enough with that. When I was a young man, um, depending on who I talked to, 
I would get all sorts of graphic stories, often quite sort of dark and scary pictures, pictures of the end of the world, great battles, and, uh, you know, the moon turning red, all sorts of things like that, people vanishing off to heaven. And quite frankly, I couldn't make a lot of sense of it. And ultimately, it all seemed far away and disconnected from the here and now of life. And remember that for hope to be real, it not only has to make sense, but it has to be something that we desire and long for, and then it's something that that will begin to guide our actions. Okay, so that's why it's so important that we not just have an understanding, but that we learn to desire and yearn for for Jesus coming again. So let's let's get into it. When Jesus teaches us to pray, what does he tell us to say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom go and take us with you. Is that what it says? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it's amazing how many Christians act as though that's what Jesus says. But he doesn't say that. He says, may your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Growing up for me, the summary of God's future, according to what I was taught, was that God will one day destroy the earth and then take God's people away to a spiritual heaven to live for eternity. I never, I never really clicked with that because it sounds very escapist. It sounds like something that you would hope for if you'd lost all hope in this world. It sounds like, stop the world, I want to get off that kind of idea. And I, every, like, as I grew up, I, I actually went off and studied science and studied environmental science and became very um, interested and, and also developed a deep love for, um, for this world. And sure, I recognise that there's many problems in our world, but I couldn't imagine God would not care for this world, that he would just be dis- discarding it. I think that, um, so I want to just begin our talk by talking a bit about heaven and earth, okay? Because I think that we mislead one another when we use heaven to mean the place where God's people go after they die. Heaven is not just a future reality, but it's actually a present one. So when biblical writers spoke of heaven, they weren't imagining a special future place for the dead. Heaven is simply God's dwelling place, as opposed to earth, which is where we live. Okay, so remember the first line in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, throughout scripture, the understanding is that heaven and earth are two distinct but overlapping kind of spheres of God's creation. So earth forms the world we most obviously experience, space, time and matter. Um, Normally, hidden from sight, heaven is not far away at all, but it's nevertheless cloaked in mystery. So although there's this kind of separation between heaven and earth, we also have this, this knowledge that God isn't far away and he's actually intimately involved in things of the earth. For example, in Isaiah 66, it says, Heaven is my throne. This is God speaking. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. 
They and everything in them are mine, I the Lord have spoken. Celtic Christians from Ireland, um, they understand creation like this as well. And they speak of what they call thin places. You may have, you may have heard of this or, or maybe not. It might be something. But their idea of thin places is that there's moments in life when we notice tangibly God's heavenly light shining through on earth. So it could be a place of natural beauty. So you're walking and there's something so beautiful and you think, I can feel God's grandeur here. It's like a thin place where heaven and earth aren't that far away from each other. Or perhaps it could be a wedding or some other celebration or a long-awaited reconciliation or a time of worship. Or, um, or even it could be a situation of God's perfect timing, like what David was talking about in his time up in Canberra. And things where often we say, oh, what a coincidence. Um, but those sort of moments can be thin places as well. When God pours in and the Celts say, the veil between heaven and earth has partially lifted. Heaven seems particularly close right now. This is a thin place. In scripture, occasionally heaven was unveiled to prophets, um, which allowed them to both see and to speak of the spiritual realities that were lying behind the earthly events happening in history. So they were able to, to speak of God's ultimate intention. And this is where our, our hope begins, that God's ultimate intention is to restore his creation by rejoining a renewed heaven with a renewed earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17 to 19, it says, Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Now, Jerusalem is, is the city mentioned because it's the place of the people of God. Okay, So um, it's not necessarily literally Jerusalem. It's, it's just the city of, of God's people. And then in Tessa's reading this morning, which is in Revelation, which is right at the end of the New Testament, it's very similar to that, that passage from Isaiah. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, there are Bible passages that refer to the future events um, that also speak of destruction and great upheaval. Things such as say, um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Look forward to the day of God and, and hurrying it along. Um, on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. We are all looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. 
a world filled with God's righteousness. So it might sort of seem that language like that about, um, you know, things being on fire and melting and um, that, that it's con- contradicting what I'm trying to say about the earth being renewed and restored. But, um, I mean, how can, how can something be restored if it's also being destroyed? Well, even here, I reckon there's also renewal because it still speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. And um, it's in, important, just not, not wanting to get too technical, but, um, but when, you know, the, the New Testament was written originally in Greek. And there's two words for, for new in Greek. Neo, so the word neo, that means brand new, brand spanking new. Okay? But there's this other word, kainos, um, which is used here, which means to be made new, to be renovated or to be renewed. And so there's this hint here that, that whatever God's doing, whatever God's future is, whatever this renewal is, it'll involve both continuity, so there'll be, there'll be something similar about now and there, but there'll also be some discontinuity. So there's going to be some kind of radical change. Interestingly enough, um, that same word kainos, which, which means renewed or renovated, um, is the word that Paul uses to describe Christians when he talks about Christians being a new creation. Um, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Um, so that person hasn't been vaporized into non-existence and then newly created, but rather the old has passed away and the renewal, the renovation has come in their life. Does that, hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully it's not too dense. All right, let's keep going. So the biblical story that we get is that far from giving up on the creation that was called good from the very beginning, there's a very clear picture that God has always had every intention of renewing and restoring the entire created order. And this is our hope. This is God's future, that all things will be restored back to him. Paul speaks of creation groaning at the moment under the weight of of sin and death. Um, It's a creation that is longing to be free, um, but not to be destroyed or annihilated or discarded or thrown on the trash bin of history. It's a creation that is longing to be saved, to be renewed and restored. And it's not just the natural world in which we live in that's, that's groaning and yearning, but we too long for liberation, liberation from, from death and decay. So throughout the biblical story, from the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, leading up to the coming of Jesus, there is this hope-filled sense that God is setting things in motion. God's ready for heaven to break through to earth. And in Jesus' life, we see God surprise us all. Heaven breaks into earth, and God himself becomes one of us, suffering like the rest of us, but living wonderfully with hope and compassion, bringing new life through teaching, miraculous signs, making disciples. He showed us how it was done. This is how to live. And as Jesus rubbed up against the powers of his time, evil and death seemed to have their way with him. But even in death, endured for our sake, 
heaven breaks in and God's love shone through powerfully. His, his suffering was not for nothing. It was wonderfully powerful in itself, a willing, redemptive suffering that was more powerful than sin and death. And so three days later, again, heaven breaks in. God raises Jesus. His resurrection is not just you know, a, a, a miracle, um, just any old miracle, but it was the sign that, that God had done something decisive through Jesus, something to connect heaven and earth once and for all. So Jesus' resurrection was kind of like the, the first fruit, the, the beginning of new life that gets the ball, the ball rolling towards God's ultimate future. Like, I guess it's sort of like you, you go outside in, in the darkness in the early morning and then those first few rays of sunshine that, that rise over the mountains at dawn, breaking through the darkness. That's, that's kind of the picture of, of Jesus' resurrection. And, and so the, the future's already on its way. If that doesn't get us excited, then I don't know what will about um, the possibilities of, of God's future. So this is a living hope for us now. And it's a hope that, that needs to hit the ground here and now, not just something that we hope for when we die or hope for later on. Because presently, those first rays of God's future have come to us in the Holy Spirit, who's given to us by God, giving us a foretaste of the things to come. When we come willingly with the little that we have, God's Spirit takes it and multiplies it. And so, we're at the moment in the process as Christians of being transformed and that transformation is going on in our lives as we live and, and, and learn and grow and make mistakes. And if we supply the willingness, then God supplies the power to transform us and to transform the world around us. I think that the deepest lesson and the, the thing that's, that fills me with the most excitement um, from from this story and from the resurrection is that our ability to be like Jesus has been restored to us. So when we're doing things in the name of Jesus, we can be confident, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We know that, that what we're doing isn't... Um, we actually carry real power to transform things. And so we shouldn't underestimate the difference that we can make just by faithfully shining our little light, we do that and God multiplies it. Our actions bear fruit even beyond our expectations. And that's the great promise that our sins have been forgiven, we've been set free, and with God's spirit now in us, we're kind of like already, God's, God's future's already coming and we're part of it and we're ready to live into that future to, to help to bring heaven to earth. Amid the hope and celebration of God's grand story, there is also a challenge for us too. Um, God's love and goodness will become the foundation of the new creation of all things. So we, we have that as a certainty. That's God's promise. And that means that necessarily God has got to do away with all the things that are no good, with sin and evil, that all has to go. And so, of course, there is also 
um, stories about judgment, that, that when Christ comes, there'll be judgment. And I, I think sometimes we misunderstand Boo to the point where we fear Christ coming. So we, we say, oh, don't come yet because I'm not perfect yet and I don't want to get judged by you. Um, I'm sure we've all had that feeling before. Um, but what I want to say today is is just that um, the well, let me let me give you a couple of scriptures um, about about this. So Colossians three two, it says, "Don't shuffle along." This is, by the way, the message paraphrase. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things that are right in front of you, but instead look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Um, and 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not being slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to change their ways and stop sinning. So in, in that, that verse there, Peter's saying, explaining to, to, his, to the churches that he's, he's writing to, saying, don't, um, don't think that God's forgotten his promise and that he's not coming, but he's actually really being patient because he wants to make sure that, um, you know, that no one is lost. And so there's this kind of sense in which even in, um, even in the judgment that's, that's coming, we, we, can, we can actually even look forward to that because we know that God's mercy is always there for us and um and is on offer and and God's mercy is on offer today for anyone who's ready to accept this hope in Christ so just to finish what does it look like to live in hope of Jesus coming again what what exactly does it look like well Jesus says this um in Luke 12 he says be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return. So there's this image of, um, you know, a servant and their master's gone out and then maybe they're going to, who knows when they're back, going to be back. But a good servant is going to keep the light on and, and be waiting so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him and it will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. And so... We are called to be world changers, not world chasers. So what does it look like to hope in Jesus coming again? It looks like a bunch of people who are so hopeful about God's future that they're changing things, not just chasing the world. Uh, Again, Jesus says in Luke 9, it's worth nothing for you to have the whole world if you yourself are destroyed or lost. And so how do we do that? Well, for starters, we are attentive to God. We listen to God's spirit through prayer. So we, we, we learn to, to notice that God is actually um, involved in our lives. We, we read scripture. We, we pray. Um, we learn to, to intuitively hear what God is saying to us. And I don't know about you, but all this talk about hope in God's future, it creates a bit of a sense of creativity. Like I think, oh, what can I do? And there's a, there's a new boldness that comes um, when we understand 
um, Christian hope like this. And so we're, we're creative in action. Like we, we're bold. We're, we're creative to, to love. We're creative to, to, stand, to step out in, in places that are, that are difficult. Um, we, we don't just cower and hide in our corner. And we are determined. We're determined to endure. Um, so when, when we do go into a difficult space where we get pushback and we feel that we're maybe, um, you know, that nothing's going to change, we're determined to endure. Um, James 5.8 says, Be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And lastly, we're thankful and we're joyous. Uh, this, I always think of the story of Paul and Silas in the Bible where they get imprisoned and beaten up and it's all very unfair. And, and then there's this verse. It says, so they're in prison. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. To me, that, that only makes sense through hope in Christ. And perhaps the prisoners were confused. Why are these people? They've just been beaten up. They're in prison. How come they're thankful and joyous to their God? And so my, that's my challenge to you this morning is um, living in hope um, is, is something that, that we, we need to take hold of. And it's not just something to understand. It's something to, and we'll find that, that God's spirit is at work in us as we learn to be attentive to him, to be creative in action, to be determined and, and to endure and to be thankful and joyous. All right, we're, we're going to, to just go into our time of, of response now. And I've got a few questions which are up on the board um, for, for you to, to think about. Don't feel you have to answer all three questions on your card. So this is the time where you get your response card out. And, um, and you're just thinking to yourself, we're going to give you a little bit of time with some music just to, um, to write and write down something about what you think God has been saying to you through this service. It could be in the message. It could have been, you know, the first song that you sang. You may have felt that God said something to you. And it's really something that you're writing between you and God. Later on in, um, in our last song, David will come around and collect them if, if you're happy for that because we, we love to be able to, to read your responses as a ministry team and to pray for you as well. So here are the, um, the questions that, that I've come up with today, uh, are good ones for you to think about now. So what has inspired you from today's message? What's been inspiring? Secondly, what breakthroughs might God have in store for your life and circumstances? Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, oh, I've, I've had this ongoing thing that I just haven't been able to change in my life. And maybe God's wanting to inspire you and to move you forward and to break through something that's, that's been stuck there. And then the last one is, will you trust him enough to act on it? What will you do? Okay, so that's for the really brave. If you want to actually write down something that, that you can do in response to today's message. All right, thanks. I'm going to just give you some space and there'll be a little bit of music. And, uh, and David will, will be leading us in communion.